Welcome back, everyone, to the Policy One podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Kale. What are we talking about today, Joe? So, as everyone might remember, in one of our very first episodes, we were talking about the Brown Stadium, First Energy Stadium, downtown. And there was a lot of discussion on what the future held for First Energy Stadium, because the Browns lease is set to end in 2028, which honestly is not that far away. Um, And there was discussions by the city, the Browns, and uh, the Haslam group. You know, Jimmy Haslam owns the Cleveland Browns about are we going to renovate First Energy Stadium or are we going to build a brand new stadium somewhere else, either on the outskirts of downtown or maybe even in the suburbs. And yesterday, Jimmy and Dee Haslam, his wife, uh, confirmed that they are going to renovate First First Energy Stadium. Um, Currently, and this is from the Akron Beacon Journal, um, they've insisted that their... Their vision for First Energy Stadium is to be uh, renovated. It would be without a roof or any kind of... Why would they do that? Why? So, so as every, if you're a Browns fan, um, you know, going to a Browns game in December or even November is really, it's really brutal. It's cold. Yeah, I can imagine. It's uncomfortable. And we're right on the lake, so the windshield is no help. But they see First Energy Stadium as, like, a focal point of future lakefront development because the Haslam Group has submitted renderings and proposals to renovate the lakefront, which has been in, honestly, dire need of redevelopment because Cleveland's been really, really far behind on developing the lakefront, especially when you look at cities like Detroit or Chicago that have beautiful lakefront parks you know, mixed-use developments, and Cleveland has an airport and a port. See, I don't know where you stand on this, but I think we should get rid of Burke. I think we should also get rid of Burke. Fist bump. bump yeah. Um, the, the other, you know, debate is um, how are we going to pay for this, right? Right. So from what uh, – Jimmy Haslam has said in the articles that they're still in talks with both Mayor Bibb and County Executive Chris Runyan. Um, and there is no like proposal yet, but I would assume that it would probably be something that the city would need to vote on, like as initiative, because I believe that's what occurred uh, before Art Modell moved the team to Baltimore and we were talking about getting rid of uh, Municipal Stadium. Um, but everything is still very much in the development process. There's no set timeline. They're hoping to start renovations within the next two years. Would the people be voting on it in 24, 25? I would think 24 or 25. 25 doesn't exist in my head as of right now. Like this is just so far away. It's so far away. There's still, like I said, there's still in the development process and there's a lot of things that have to happen between starting renovations on First Energy Stadium and where we're at today, which is just this is what they foresee the stadium being in the future. So you're obviously a Browns fan. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) And you've been to the stadium. Yep. What's wrong with it? Why why would it need renovated other than putting a roof on it? So 
When, the answer is nothing. It's a waste of money. When Before the naming rights were bought by our favorite utility company. Your favorite. Yeah. Uh, First <laughs> Energy. Uh, Brown Stadium was constructed very quickly mm-hmm. because they wanted it to be ready after the team came back in the expansion draft in 1999. The stadium is it's obviously like safe and structurally sound, but there's still things that should be updated. Um, listeners might remember a few years ago, they removed, I think, around 3,000 seats to install a gigantic scoreboard. It's very nice. So you can watch bad football better. Um, <laughs> I think that's to the point of why they want to renovate the stadium and not just tear it down and build a new one because they've already put in a, a lot of money. And it honestly, it wouldn't make sense for them to tear down First Energy and build a new stadium when they've already installed you know, this gigantic scoreboard that was not cheap. I mean, I think it's one of the biggest scoreboards in the NFL. Is there... Like data to back that claim up, or are you just biased towards the Browns? The the scoreboard thing? Yeah, I think it is actually one of the largest. That's I don't think it's the largest, but it's one of the biggest. Cleveland, home to the world's largest outdoor chandelier, one of the largest scoreboards in the NFL, and one of the worst football teams in the NFL, and Burke Airport. We are not the Detroit Lions. One of yeah, but doesn't Detroit have a roof over their stadium? I don't think so. No. They don't don't deserve it, actually. I'm a Raiders fan. For whatever reason. Vegas Raiders. Mm. Because a lot of people in my life that I respect are Raiders fans, Joe. Anyways. uh, There's a lot of people that I respect that are Browns fans. My grandpa? Yeah, I don't respect Browns fans. So That's not true. That's a lie. (laughs) I love the state of Ohio and all the sports teams in it. It's Guardians opening day. It is? Yeah, they're playing today hmm. the other their other um reasoning behind renovating the stadium is and haslam says it in this article and i quote listen construction costs have gotten very high lately and he's right if anyone everyone's gone through inflation how expensive things have gotten Sure, renovating the stadium will be expensive, but it's certainly less expensive than building a brand new stadium somewhere else downtown. And it's also more feasible timeline-wise to renovate the current stadium before 2028 so the Browns can renew their lease in Cleveland than once again rush to finish a stadium so the the football team does not leave the city again. Not that that's going to happen, but I think that's part of the reasoning too and near the end of the article he talks about the timeline again and jimmy haslam seems like a very nonchalant kind of person the way that he's quoted um and this is him talking about the timeline so listen we could be through a year or two early we could be through it a year or two late we just have to work on things and see seems very casual about this whole process so personally, I'm not too worried about the team moving because this is the guy that owns the team. And he, as much of the criticisms that I have about the Haslam group and Jimmy Haslam himself, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to be moving the team anytime soon, even if the stadium opens a year or two late. They could play on 
Krenzler Field here in, at CSU. Worst case scenario. I'm sure it won't be a sellout. That fits like a thousand people, maybe. Yeah, they won't sell out. Kidding. That's a joke. That would fit the entire dog pound, maybe. Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, what's going on in Columbus, Joe? A lot, but... A lot. What are we talking about today? So... I'm sure you've seen House Joint Resolution 1. Yeah, the anti-democracy one. Do you want to explain what that what it does, Kale? <laughs> what doesn't it do? What doesn't it do? Make <laughs> me happy. Yeah. Um, but we we can say that it would make um like voter-led constitutional amendments. Um when you're, when you're going through the process and you're getting signatures on the petitions for this type of thing, you have to go to all 88 counties in Ohio to get signatures, as opposed to the 44 that you have to go to now, which, sure, I mean, you only have to go and get a couple signatures. There's not, like, a strict requirement, like, oh, it needs to be 10% of the people who voted in the last gubernatorial election, nothing crazy like that. The crazy part is you have to go to all 88 counties. When was the last time you've been to Wyandotte County? Which is... Never have been, never will. Shout out Dan Crowder. <laughs> um, but, exactly. And there's like these there's some like deep red counties where their Democratic Party doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chance that like grassroots organizations also don't exist. Yeah. So somebody's going to have to go from out of the county into the county who might not know Jack about local government there or anything and ask people for signatures. And I mean, I, I sign petitions that I don't necessarily agree with just because if I think that it's stupid and I trust people to vote no, I'll sign it mm-hmm. because that'll be the end of the discussion. Yeah. So, I, but I know people don't think that way. So if you go to a deep red county in Ohio, say, hey, can you sign this petition? They're going to be like, no, for one. Two, when it comes to abortion, this is an issue that some people, if you bring it up, they get so riled up that it's dangerous. Yeah. So I wouldn't want certain people to travel to some counties to try to get these signatures without a big group. Mm-hmm. But a big group is hard to plan and organize. Yeah. So there's that. It also makes it so that on election day, in the general, it goes through, you get all the signatures. It would require 60% of the voters on election day to to pass the this constitutional amendment. And that's absurd. a super majority. So, I mean, Ohio's a state where majority rule doesn't matter super majority rule is what happens because that's how it is in the state senate state house and now constitutional amendments i just want to like super majority it's 60 percent. you know that's the number that the legislator came up with that is such an absurd requirement that it's rare that that happens in elections now there's been elections in lake county where you know a candidate got beat by a super majority margin that sucks it was ridiculous. that's terrible and i'm so I, sorry and i feel bad for him but... i'm assuming the loser was a dem yeah yeah i'm sorry joe and you know like that's only happened a few times in our county's history i believe at least recently it's happened like once Democracy is majority rule. That's 50 plus one. It's not 60%. It's not 66%. It's not 
whatever absurd number that Republicans in Columbus want to pull out of their ass, honestly, it is 50%. And we all know why they want to pass this, because there's going to be an abortion amendment on the ballot in November. There's talks of getting an independent redistricting amendment or some kind of reform to our redistricting process again. There's apparently something in the works to raise the minimum wage via ballot initiative. Recreational marijuana. Weed. I mean, things that are popular with regular people where if you talk to them, R or D or I, they go, that's a good idea. Medicaid expansion, for example. You know, it's ridiculous to say that, you know, oh, and, you know, people like Frank LaRose and other Republicans in the, in the legislature saying, oh, well, these outside groups are threatening our democracy. No, you're threatening our democracy by, you know, coming up with these absurd, like, lies that, that there's these, these nefarious actors from the West Coast that are trying, that's trying to get abortion No, if legalized. they're concerned about nefarious actors from the West Coast, then we shouldn't have put J.D. Vance in office. And it's a double standard. And I hope people can see through that and they'll vote no on it if it ends up on our ballot, if the if both chambers agree to it. Oh, in August when, yeah. when they already said that we shouldn't be having August elections? And what a good segue, because let's talk about that. Last year, I don't know if anyone remembers, but this state had two primaries. It had two primaries, one for the gubernatorial election for both parties a second for the state legislator and Congress. Why did that happen? Do you know why, Cal? Redistricting, Joe. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the listener and the viewer. Joe's going to get into it. Because Republicans on the redistricting commission could not follow the state constitution, the same people that are claiming to be protecting the state constitution. And it got so bad that their maps were thrown out five times by the state Supreme Court. And they had to hold a second primary on e already illegal maps in August. Turnout for that primary, I think, was maybe 13% across the state. Primary elections already have very low turnouts. An election in August, when people are going back to school, getting packed from vacations, might not even know there's an election because who holds an election in August in the middle of the summer? It's absurd. And I think their hope is that specifically young people won't turn out to vote because they already turn out lower than older folks. But especially in an off-year election, in a month where there's not normally an election, I think, I think it would just be, it's really absurd that they want to approve a ballot measure that would require 60% uh, approval for future ballot initiatives to pass that only needs 50% to pass in the first place, but also possibly during an election that has a historically low turnout rate. It's absurd. It's, it's really insane. I think that if we were to vote on making it a 60% threshold, that vote should also be 60%. Be 60%. If it doesn't pass by 60%, then it, that's stupid, and yep. that shouldn't be a thing. No, I'll raise you. Everything should be 60%. Okay. Why not ballot measures? Okay. You know, our guest last week said it. Why not office? Why not for governor or secretary of state? Dog catcher. Dog catcher. 60% threshold. Coroner, 60% threshold. <laughs> sheriff. County sheriff. Sheriff. 
commissioner, county council, county executive, judge, probate judge, juvenile court judge. The joke is Republicans in disarray, but it would just be the whole of the Ohio government in disarray. And I real I I see no support behind this amendment in the public. No, none. The the very the minimized support that I see is online and it's from accounts that were just created. Interesting. This is giving off conspiracy like theory vibe. HB six yes. type vibes. It's hmm. I could go on forever about it. So, so where do you think Frank LaRose's prospects are when it comes to running for Senate? I hope he gets annihilated by Matt Dolan. And he would, because Frank LaRose sucks. And I do not like him. So I just want to point this out. So you know that I spent spring break at the State House in Columbus um, for the, the Columbus Seminar class through the Urban College. Um, this is apparently the second or third year that the Urban College has tried to reach out to Frank LaRose to just talk to somebody from his office, and he has ignored us. So I'm not speaking for Levin or Levin. How do you say it? Levin. Levin. I'm not speaking for Levin, but I'm going going to say that Levin has beef with Secretary of State Frank LaRose. I think everyone should have beef with the Secretary of State. Well, he was at CPAC when there was stuff that needed done here. He was at CPAC, which... You know, is an election denial conference at this point. We are all domestic terrorists, as they said last year. I mean, when when LaRose was first elected, I I liked the guy. A lot of people did. A lot of Democrats I know said, oh, he's, he's okay. Now? No. He's towing the line of being an election denier and not being an election denier. And honestly, you need to pick a lane. You're either going to be normal or you're going to be crazy. See, in Ohio, obviously Trump won. And we have a Republican trifecta right now. So he can't go and say that the election was rigged and that the election uh, was stolen and stuff like that because in Ohio it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, maybe it was in favor of Trump. Not really. That was a joke. But he can't go around saying that. So what he does is he talks about election security in, like, an intelligent way because the dude's smart. Sometimes. And I just feel like that gives people who think that the election was stolen, say, in Pennsylvania or Michigan, it gives those types of people credibility. And it's just so problematic. It's it's nuts. Oh, sorry. I do have a – the turnout in the August election last year uh, was 8% statewide. It was not 13%. Wow. It was 8%. Eight percent? The entire state of Ohio. Eight percent turnout in an off year election. Wow. So imagine what it would be in another off year election. In August. In August. <laughs> in August. See, there are a lot of issues nationally, like in Congress, that people are like, Oh, we can't let this pass. We can't let this pass. And I I had to remind myself, we control the Senate and the presidency. So there's like there's checks and balances there yeah. pretty much. There's not in Ohio. So if there's something absolutely ridiculous, unless there's like mass grassroots mobilization, it's going to end up happening. Like mm-hmm. Senate Bill 1, the education reform, it, it happened. Yeah. And it's going to more than likely going to pass the House now. And I'm hoping that the rumors that I heard about DeWine not wanting that responsibility, it, I hope that that's true and I hope he vetoes it. 
but like crazy stuff like that can happen here because of the Republican trifecta. Not even trifecta. I mean, super majority. Super majority. I mean, they hold 67 seats. I don't know. They have enough to overwrote. They have enough to override the governor's veto. Correct. I'm sure. And. And the only way that regular people can stop, you know, like crazy policies, like whatever they want to propose next from getting enacted is things like these popular referendums. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to control that because they know their policies are not popular. Why do you think they had to gerrymander themselves into power? Because people are starting to get pissed off. So now they're trying to control the very last way that regular folks can push back against them through popular referendum. And I think it's really disgusting. It's not very Republican of the Republican Party to control popular will. <laughs> so I am starting a new job mm. with Ohio Citizen Action. Um, and one of our big campaigns is, well, now it's a new campaign and it's relatively large, is anti-HJR1. Yeah. And it's, I don't know what the Senate counterpart is. I, there is a Senate counterpart. And I don't know what it is, but um, they had a hearing, um, the first hearing on HJR1. They had three additional hearing rooms or two additional hearing rooms and the hallway outside of the hearing room that they were in filled with people wanting to testify. I've never seen that before, mm -hmm. not even in like 2019 when there was large opposition against HB6. Yeah. So, and I can guarantee you, not every single one of them was a registered Democrat. Yeah. Not every single one of them was attached to an organization. There were people there just because they want to protect Ohio direct democracy. And they think that this is, like, essentially bullshit. Yeah. And that's just, one, it was really cool to see, like, how many people actually cared and how many people knew that that was happening. I didn't know a hearing was happening until the Ohio AFL-CIO tweeted <laughs> a picture of the uh, Grant hearing room filled to the brim. Yeah. And um, I think, I forget who is in charge of the committee, so I'm not going to say, but whoever's in charge of the committee, like, wanted to make it to where only people who are invited by the House are allowed to testify, which makes the whole thing worse. Yeah. The, the, oh. It's. I I just I really wonder if they ever like think like are we the bad guys, because the good guys don't. Are usually, we the baddies? Are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? I mean, because no, seriously, the good guys don't normally try to restrict people from voicing opposition or I don't know. Changing the requirements for popular referendums to pass. That's usually the thing like the bad guys do, you know. I'm less concerned with whether or not these members of the House think that. I'm more concerned with the people that put them there. Like, do people who vote are in the state of Ohio right now see things like Larry Householder being charged and found guilty and HJR1 and the restrictions through the committee and Senate Bill 1, Senate Bill 83, do they see all these things and they're like, this is good policy? Or do they think it, see it and they're like, oh, well, this is a problem? Well, I guess not because um, 
as we know, Republicans actually expanded their majority in the state house last November. And J.D. Vance won. And J.D. Vance won. He ran a terrible campaign. But, you know, I think gerrymandering is only such a – only, can only be used as an excuse for so far – like for so long. And you do have to ask yourself, why are we voting these same people in office when they're proposing crazy things like this? I'm glad you brought that up. You and I, last weekend, went to a fundraising event for Senator Sherrod Brown. Mm -hmm. Who else was there, Joe? The Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer of New York. The Majority Leader. We had pizza (laughs) with the Majority Leader. Mm -hmm, Yes. But you, me, and Dan were talking about how we're the youngest there. And the median age in that room was like 61 years old. Mm -hmm. I would venture out and say there were about 45, 50 people there, maybe less, a little less. And there were only, I can count on one hand how many people under the age of 35 were in that room. Yeah. I can also count on one hand how many black people were in that room. And it was a Cuyahoga County Democrat event. You would expect more African Americans and just anybody of color there. And the problem is that ODP, the Ohio Democratic Party, the Cuyahoga Democratic Party, and whoever else was there don't see a problem. No. The uh, the Cuyahoga Democratic Women's Caucus didn't see a problem with that. And that's the issue. Young people are when, – when young people vote, Democrats win Yeah, typically, like just as of right now. And I'm going to venture out and say that young people are the reason why Tim Ryan didn't win. Yeah. Because he couldn't get voter turnout in the three C's. And I blame ODP. They don't have good young dem outreach because how many people are in Lake County young dems? Eight. Eight. I don't know how many people are in Franklin County because all of our meetings are on Zoom. But... We're the biggest city in the state, and I can guarantee you we don't have a ton. So that's just that outreach to younger people and minorities in Ohio is the, is the problem to me. Yeah. And it, it's going to have to be a very big priority for if this does get on the ballot for ODP, for any organization, honestly, that supports direct democracy to get young people, to get black voters to turn out because if there's one thing stopping this thing from passing it's young people and minority voters because you know they're not able to elect candidates that represent them you know cleveland's sliced and diced to all hell Mm -hmm. i mean honestly you could make a case that it's racially gerrymandered to an extent you're preventing black voters from electing representatives that look like themselves and now like, this is our stand to be able to stop this craziness from passing, you know, in maybe August. So. So I think, well, I kind of know. Black women put Joe Biden in the White House. Mm-hmm. Black women came out and voted in 2020, and it helped Democrats win. Obviously, Joe Biden doesn't look like them. Yeah. It would be really cool if he did, but obviously he doesn't. When black men come out and vote, Obama won. Yeah. And since Obama's second election in 2012, African-American males, when it comes to voter turnout, has been going down. Mm -hmm. 
So in a state like Ohio, if the state party, if county parties can get minority men to come out and vote, we'll win elections. Yeah. So I'm going to venture out and say that it's not even up to the party. It's up to county boards of election to show up to high schools, teach the importance of voting, teach people how to get involved. Because when boards of election do that, it's nonpartisan. It's something that people can like exclude from the toxicity of party politics. Yeah. So, I mean, I can go on and on about what state initiatives need to happen to increase voter turnout. Let's talk about the Starbucks hearing. Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz, the founder and former CEO of Starbucks, uh, was he testified in front of the Senate yesterday um, and was honestly grilled by Bernie Sanders. And it was really fun to watch and, you know, other senators on the committee. Um, But he... I don't know if everyone that listens knows I work at Starbucks. I work at a unionized store in Cleveland. Um, And I can tell you right now that Starbucks put me and, you know, my partners at our store through hell when we decided that we wanted to unionize. We were forced to sit through captive audience meetings. They engaged in practices that could be considered unfair labor practices or borderline illegal. Um, People were fired that were pro-union and our hours were cut. Our mode of business was changed. We're takeout only now. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I do not think that's a coincidence. So I've been, obviously I watched the hearing. You were with me when I watched part of it. Yeah. And I've been trying to figure out how I can get this sound clip into this episode of the podcast. There was a senator, senator, uh, Republican senator from North Carolina, um, Ted Budd. Mm-hmm. There was one instance where he just went into it with Bernie. I saw that, yeah. Like he said that Bernie Sanders was worth like $8 million or something like that. And Senator Sanders was like, well, this is news to me. This is great, blah, blah, blah. We looked it up. I mean, his net worth isn't $8 million. It's like maybe a million. And the... Senator Bud just kept talking over him, and Senator Sanders is the chair. Yeah, and it just kind of felt a lot like this. I have the floor, do I? Yes, do you I? do. <laughs> I've been trying to get that into the show, <laughs> but that was um, City Council from Flint, Michigan, right? Yeah, that was Eric Mays, Councilman Eric Mays. Yes, you do. But the the interaction between Senator Bud and Bernie Sanders was kind of like that. Senator, Senator Sanders was like, "Excuse me, excuse me," trying to get him to shut up, like respect the chair. Yeah. And it, it, from the minority party's perspective, f- for the whole hearing, they all kept saying things like, "Oh, I'm a conservative, and it's just kind of funny to me that we're defending Starbucks." Like, shut up. <laughs> I mean, honestly, shut yeah, up. shut up. <laughs> just don't talk. You know, Mitt Romney made the joke, as a, non, as a non-coffee-drinking Mormon, ha-ha, chuckles, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I mean, you guys, Mitt Romney especially, was, what did he do before the Senate? He was like a, a 
an investment banker. I don't know. He's one of the wealthiest people in he's Congress. He's one of the wealthiest people in Congress. And you're saying, oh, Starbucks is so good to work at. They don't need a union. You haven't worked a day in your life. <laughs> right? I, especially when Rand Paul started talking, I said, someone on Twitter from Workers United said this, but um, give Rand Paul an apron and have him work a cold bar during peak. <laughs> then come back to me and tell me that we don't need to unionize. And that shouldn't even be the question. The question is, did Starbucks engage in illegal practices and treat unionized workers unfairly? And they said several times, NLRB judges said, have yeah. said yes, Co- not Congress. Starbucks has done these things. And it's just absurd. It was absurd. It's so disrespectful. And it's so, I mean, it's not surprising. But I would just think that the people that are, whose their jobs are just supposed to be support the interests of the American people, not the American corporations or corporate America, are you're, you're attacking working people while also simultaneously trying to say, oh, I support unions, but. No, there is no but. You support unions or you do not support unions. Right. 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 And I just want to take a moment to talk about how predictable Howard Schultz was. Um, I got this from Starbucks Workers United Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a Howard in the hot seat bingo. And I just want to tell you the ones that I got because I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't get bingo. But the company has invested one billion dollars in their partners. He He said said that. that lies about closing union stores, you know, when every store in Buffalo was closed. Um, He mentioned that he's not the CEO anymore, but he doesn't mention being on the board. He said Green Apron a million times, um, lies about firing union organizers, never says Starbucks Workers United. He always says, quote, the union. Uh, I got the free space, too. Mm. The union is delaying bargaining, not the company. Young people are angry because of the government, not Starbucks. Industry-leading benefits, the fact that he grew up in a not-ideal scenario. Uh, Starbucks listens to the partners, industry-leading healthcare, and why don't they just leave if they're not happy? That's what I got on the bingo card. It's really ironic because, you know, Starbucks is seen as, you know, the, the corporate America love child of, you know, like corporate social responsibility. We're the, we're the anti-Chick-fil-A. Is what the anti Chick Fil A is what people joke because you know we're getting oh so maybe that's Dr. Bloomberg's yeah. like, bipartisanship we have Starbucks on campus and a Chick Fil A yeah the two sides of the spectrum yeah yeah but <clears throat> you know Starbucks has been supportive of LGBTQ folks and employees of Black Lives Matter which is great but maybe you should also be supportive of when those same partners that are trans or black or not white are saying, "Hey, there's problems here and we think we these would be best addressed if we had a union." And Starbucks goes, "No, actually. No." And then they shut down your store and then threaten your benefits. Cuz that's what a good company does, right? Yeah, it's one that cares about its employees. Yeah. Well, you know, you call them partners, but then you say, we're going to not give you your raises if you unionize. I forget which senator it was. It's one of the, like, like big name 
Republican senators. I don't know if it was Mitt Romney or Susan Collins or Rand Paul who said it, but somebody brought up the fact that benefits were uh, better at uh, non-unionized stores or pay. It was pay. Pay was better at non-unionized stores, and it was like, one, not relevant. Two, not true, Yeah, I would assume, right? The other thing is, is I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? Because a lot of the unionized stores are in states that have higher minimum wages. New York has a higher minimum wage than Ohio. California has a higher minimum wage than Tennessee. Florida has a higher minimum wage than, like, Wisconsin. So I just think... Uh, just a lot of the stupid things that these senators have senators said during the hearing are just like totally irrelevant. Doesn't doesn't matter if the wage at non-unionized stores is higher or not. Again, the question is, did Starbucks engage in illegal activity and treat partners unfairly for unionizing? That's the question. Did they, Joe? Yeah, they did. Yeah. From my personal experience, I think they did. Didn't Starbucks hire one of the most notorious uh, law firms when it comes to union busting? I forget what it's called. Can I say the name? I don't see why not. Yeah. Uh, It's called Littler Mendelssohn. They have a reputation for being a union busting law firm. They have an entire tab. That's nicely labeled. Uh, like employee or like labor relations, and they basically break down how they uh, discourage your employees from unionizing. Mm. Trust me, it's it's brutal, and they really suck. I I think I've said this before. I would be kind of excited if we lived in a, t- a time where union busting was legal. Like a hundred years ago, yeah, and there were like, like the Pinkertons were still a thing. Cause I would be the opposite. I would just I would be such a thug for a union. I, like yeah, <laughs> sure, pay me, and I'll go beat up these guys who are trying to beat you up. That'd be cool. A union bastard. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that would be kind of cool. Do you want your like own battle of Blair Mountain? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Which is man. such a cool moment in American history, and people don't know it. Yeah, every it is really absurd. That was crazy. Yeah, they're a PMC now, a private military corporation. Really awesome. Really cool. Talking about the Pinkertons. Yeah. We can talk about or anything else you want to talk about. TikTok and that committee hearing. We talked about it in the last episode with Dan. Have you been getting on like your TikTok videos of Republicans in committees at the state and federal level? Just making complete fools of themselves. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm the, there's the obvious ones like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren, Lauren Boebert, but like I'm getting weird videos from like the Missouri State Legislature and Michigan, where people are just making absolute fools of themselves, and I don't know what's going on in committees, but people are morons. Especially in Michigan. I saw something on TikTok. Now, it was just a slideshow of, like, tweets from the Michigan Republican Party. Mm -hmm. But they're like, Gretchen Whitmer just made Michigan uncompetitive in business. It's because they 
repealed right to work props on Michigan um, and it's like you look stupid you look really silly saying that and I know exactly what you mean because there's videos of people in committee hearings just looking like morons I, I saw one where it was um, Marjorie Taylor Green, and I don't know what the context was but she said that when she was in 11th grade Biden banned guns and uh, she said that somebody brought three guns to school and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> it was fact-checked. When she was in 11th grade, it was like George H.W. Bush who was president. So obviously, Joe Biden wasn't president. But he also signed the the bill that would ban guns on school property. Mm-hmm. But that had, like, huge bipartisan support. It was, like, 315 votes in favor from the House. Yeah. It's it's just kind of common sense, and she's complaining about common sense gun legislation. It's um, nuts. I think the more concerning thing about the TikTok ban is, like, if you look at the bill specifically, it would give the president an unreasonable amount of power to restrict the internet. Uh, honestly, like just the internet in general. Yeah, it's like Patriot Act 2.0. Yeah. And one, I think banning TikTok does literally nothing. I mean, Facebook and Meta and Cambridge Analytica is uh, a little bit more of a concern for me because they are doing they were literally doing the things that these senators are accusing TikTok of doing but they did it in 2016. Like it's already happened, but it was an American company. And I think I really do think the only reason that they want to ban TikTok is because of some weird anti-China, you know, rhetoric. And I'm not saying like, you know, China is a competitor, don't get me wrong. They're not a friend, not an enemy, they're a competitor. Okay, Joe Biden. <laughs> But they want to ban TikTok, I think, because it, it's like it's red meat. I mean, Democrats support it, too. So I, I watched the committee hearings. They don't know what they're talking about. No, it's a bunch of old heads talking about tech. But it's I just think it's a bunch of red meat for people's bases. I mean, you know, you're making an enemy up. It's like, oh, look at this TikTok this TikTok app that all your kids are on all day. You know, we should ban it because it's a threat. So throughout history, the people who were like pro-war, I, I think the instance that stands out the most is War of 1812. They're called Hawks. And I think it's NPR, maybe. Somebody I listen to on a daily basis, Politico, NPR, somebody, um, calls these people China Hawks. And... To you said you brought up basically Joe Biden's quote where he says that China's not an enemy, it's a competitor. I know somebody who would disagree, and his name is Jerry Serino. He actually said that specifically to me. He said that China is the enemy, and <laughs> I, you, you got to take a step back because I'm not a military expert. Mm hmm. But I'm going to say that we could probably take China. It would suck for everybody on the planet. 
but we could take China. We're not going to get like swept. But that's not me saying we should go to war with China. Yeah. I don't want to piss off China. They should also take steps to not piss us off. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to piss off China. But I'm also not going to like sacrifice American values and American interests. And I feel like TikTok is not the hill that we should be dying on. Protecting the water surrounding the Philippines is probably the hill we should be dying on, but we're not taking any action to stop that. Yeah, We're taking action to stop 13-year-olds from watching TikTok. I just, I agree. Like, dying, like the hill to die on is a a social media app where people lip sync and dance on. I make dumb TikToks all the time. I don't think Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party Honestly, very interested in that. There's nothing. There's nothing that the CCP or Xi Jinping could find that Mark Zuckerberg or like Elon Musk doesn't already know. So the problem, like I understand why TikTok shouldn't be on government phones. Yeah, I don't think social media should be on government phones in general. Yeah. When it comes to TikTok and the American public. I think that the problem isn't what these people in Congress are trying to make it th- like seem. They're saying like, "Oh, can TikTok connect to my Wi-Fi?" or whatever that dude said. It's that's not the problem. The problem is consumer data. It's not China's not coming after your social security number because one that doesn't matter to them at all. Yeah, and they're not coming. They're not even coming after your cell phone number because that doesn't matter either. They're coming after what ads you click on what type of content you consume because if you look at anything in this room right now half of it's probably made in china Mm -hmm. so if they they take this information this consumer data and they see oh a good chunk of americans like this thing we're going to start making this thing and marketing it to the americans and that puts american businesses out of business that makes that's where it comes into the the competitor thing comes into play China's a competitor. That's the issue. Yeah. But they don't say that. They say some weird, like, batshit crazy stuff. They're concerned about the dancing. They're concerned about connecting to my Wi-Fi. They're concerned about all the stupid stuff when they're not concerned about that. And if that's the problem, there's steps to take to address that. Like, consumer protection is a thing. And if they take that action against TikTok, they should take that action against Facebook, too. It's... It, and I think they they very quickly devolve into really weird arguments about traditional values. Womp womp. Like, I mean, I I think a lot of people have seen it, especially online, like conservative activists getting really. I mean, yeah, they're conservatives. They support traditional values, but like really weird niche things, like a like they view TikTok as a way that. Uh, kids are becoming, you know, degenerates or whatever. And it's just it's just really weird to look at because you're concerned about TikTok and the dancing. Um, I've seen some horrible, horrible things that kids have said on Facebook, like just really absurdly like racist things. We're not talking about that. We're talking about some sophomore in high school making a dumb TikTok video that like maybe a hundred people see. That's your concern? That's your concern. Really? So we we got about 10 minutes left. Um, And there are some announcements to make, um, but we'll do that later. I want to move on and give an update because a couple weeks ago we talked about 
judicial reform mm. in the Middle East, yeah. in Israel. What has happened? <laughs> what, what hasn't happened? So They haven't deposed Benjamin Netanyahu. They did not depose of the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. Would have been really cool if they did. But so Benjamin Netanyahu fired the defense minister of Israel because he came out against the judicial reform package that was proposed. And rightfully so, Israeli citizens got pissed and they started protesting. Actually, a general strike was called by Israel's unions. I'm not quite sure which industries or sectors, but it was it was very effective. I'm not sure if you saw any of the videos that I saw online, but it was like France-level protesting. France-level protest. That's nice. Like there were I saw fires and there stuff. There were people on highways, there were fires. The military started protesting. Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned it a few weeks ago. There were military pilots that just stopped doing their missions and they went a totally different direction. They mm-hmm. didn't do anything, but they they were they were the military was striking. And that does not happen. And we talked about democratic backsliding. And this is a trend that we're seeing across the world, in Europe, in Hungary, in the United States, in Florida, in places that are considered very strong U.S. allies like Israel. It's concerning to see, and I'm glad that Israelis saw, and they said, what the hell are you doing? You're trying to become a dictator. And that's what he was trying to do. He already made it harder for uh, the Knesset, I think that's how you pronounce yeah. it, the Israeli parliament, to depo- to remove the prime minister from power. And now he was trying to reform the Supreme Court. Um, specifically, it's very, you know, it's, it's technical. I don't want to get, I'm even confused by what he was proposing. But for our listeners, like, the Israeli Supreme Court plays a much more active role in legislation than it does in the United States. In the U.S., you know, it calls balls and strikes, or, you know, supposedly that's what it should do. In, in Israel, it is much more hands-on in actually crafting legislation and implementing legislation. And that's the number one thing. If you talk to a political scientist, if you talk to a professor in political science here or international relations, the number one thing that authoritarian parties and authoritarians and tyrants in general go after first when they are elected is the court system. They try to neuter it because that is the only thing that can stop those people from consolidating power and implementing basically a regime. You know, and, and we, we see these things in, in Poland and Hungary and Russia and places where there's democratic backsliding. So, I mean, it's, it's problematic, to put it nicely. Um, and and since, since we talked about it last, I think this is news that was like two days ago, something like that, Netanyahu pressed the pause button on his judicial reforms. Protests are still going on. Yeah. Because he pressed pause instead of, you know, cancel. So he still has these plans. He's just wanting the country to settle down. And I'm sure the plan is to do it quietly. Yeah. Or try to at least. The So Israel has a very interesting political system. 
they have had like five general elections in the past three years alone because it's a parliamentary system. You can just call them if you want. Um, and Benjamin Netanyahu and his party, Likud, already have like maybe a three-seat majority in the Knesset. You know, very, very slim. You don't have a mandate. You have a, you have a slim majority in a coalition government because no party is even close to having the majority of seats. So you have to partner with other parties to get your legislation passed. Right. And the current coalition that's headed by Netanyahu and Likud is extremely far right. It is extremely far right. And they're religious, like they're, they're based in religion. Yeah. So this is the type of thing where um, people have to tiptoe the line because to some, and the show has faced backlash from the last time we talked about the, his party. It People think that talking negatively or critically even about Netanyahu and his party is anti-Semitic. It's not. Because you're, you're telling me that the thousands of Israelis who are walking in the streets the last couple of days are all anti-Semitic? They're not. They're thinking critically of their democratically elected government. And that's what we're doing, just yeah. to make everything clear. And, you know, I mean, like, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm very conscious about how I talk about issues in general, but especially about Israel and any, you know, especially the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But criticism of a state, of a government, and of elected officials is an essential part of any democracy. I don't care what the majority group is. I don't care what the major religion in a country is. I don't care if they have an official religion or what. I am going to criticize any goddamn government that I please. I don't care where they're at. I don't care who heads it. I don't care what party's in charge. If I, or I think, I think you'd say the same thing, if you're doing something that is undemocratic and is blatantly authoritarian, uh, we're going to call you out on it. Exactly. That's how you maintain democracy, because when people in power aren't fact-checked and aren't criticized, they're basically free to do whatever the hell they want. Exactly. Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. No, you're good. Um, so you, you brought up labor um, and how there was a, it was a general strike. I just want to talk about the history for a second. In the 40s and the 50s, the leading party in Israel was the Israeli Labor Party. Mm-hmm. And the country was founded on secular beliefs embedded in the Labor Party. So unions in Israel have a good sway. Like they have a like people trust them, people obviously utilize them. There was a general strike and it's the same in France. They also have very strong unions in France. And I just wish we had that here. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I just want to wish I wish we had unions that strong here. Yeah, I do too. We used to. Blair Mountain. Ronald Reagan. Yep, we could blame Reagan. I mean, I guess we can talk about unions for a little bit before we end off today. But, you know, labor in America has been the underdog for too long. And, uh, yeah, I think it's time that you know, unions are given more power than, you know, management. General strikes don't happen in this country for a reason. 
It's one, they're very hard to organize. I mean, you have to tell everyone to stop doing what they're doing. Like, they are pretty hard to organize. Like, and you have to have systems in place, like mutual aid networks, so that people can eat and drink water and, you know, try to maintain a sense of normalcy while no one's working. And that's one of the most, that is like the most effective thing to protest a government with. Shout out to Dr. Nelson. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I wish labor in America was more you know, stronger. And we're getting there. We're getting there. More and more people are voting to join unions every day. This is true. So, Joe, is there anything else you want to add on to all that? Vote no if they really do try to put that ballot initiative on in November. And trust me, oh, we'll be talking about it if they try to make an August election for it. And in the meantime, call your legislator, call the people on the committee, get involved, advocate against HJR1. And do some research and figure out what the Senate one is and do the same for the Senate. Yes. I can't tell you that information. Um, but just real quick, a couple announcements. We reached our fundraising goal for the month of April already. We Hasn't did. even started yet. So thank you to all of our policy wonks. Policy wonks and and everybody involved on our end. Um, including our PR director, Victoria Fields, who today said, quote I'm feeling like at Wendy's Twitter from like 2017 today um, and then had the posted, it would be cool to have the Northeast Ohio Regional Regional Sewer District on the podcast, but alas, they are a mere Twitter account. Something that they responded to um, and then one thing led to another and Joe got murdered by... Uh, the Northeast Ohio Regional Regional Sewer District. And I just wanted to say, if any of them find this podcast and you are listening right now, um, I'm going to read the tweet. Highlight of the day is Joe getting absolutely torqued by NEORSD. That being said, thank you, Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer, Regional Sewer District, for giving our little corner of the internet some attention. We love you. Keep up the good work. Um, that's That's all I got today. I, I am a big fan of uh, the regional sewer district. I love their Twitter. I love you. I'm not actually mad at you. Um, thank you for everything you do. I'd kiss you if you weren't a sewer district. We're looking forward to uh, to April. Yeah. But thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you guys next time.